You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking With Wolves the Timberwolves site on the Fansided Network. Today's episode of Locked on Wolves is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. Happy Monday, everybody. Happy Timberwolves game day. The Wolves take on the Brooklyn Nets this evening for the first time this year in Brooklyn. And uh, we'll talk about that. That'll There will be a brief preview here later in the show. I want to start, though, with, uh, I don't know, maybe this will be a new segment moving forward. Crazy stat time. Um, and, and, and I want to get to that first actually. And then after that, I'll talk about a little bit, uh, surrounding Anthony Edwards, two man lineups. I alluded to this a little bit on one of the weekend shows. I think it was Sunday following Saturday night's debacle of a lost, a loss to the Houston Rockets. Um, so I, I want to talk about Edwards, two man lineups, a little bit of surprising data on who he's played best with and, and why that matters moving forward. And then we'll close with the Brooklyn preview, but off the top here, I want to get to a really crazy and disheartening statistic related to the Timberwolves. A reminder first, though, you can subscribe to Lockdown Wolves if you haven't already. Anywhere you get podcasts, you can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and at B Beacon. It's B Beacon, two B's, two E's, C K E N. Okay, so I guess the first edition and what should probably become a recurring. Um, a recurring segment. Hopefully, these aren't all disheartening statistics, but let's talk through this one. So, if you've watched any number of Wolves games this year, you've certainly thought to yourself, "Man, it really seems like the other team, you know, keeps scoring at the buzzer or on the final possession of each quarter." Um, I'm talking end of quarter situations, so not end of game situations. First, second, third quarter. Man, it really seems like the other team scores at the end of every single quarter. It felt that way under Ryan Saunders. It's felt that way a lot recently. And so I decided to start pulling the numbers and I only went back to the all-star break and, and now somebody's probably going to go back and, and beat me to this and go all the way back to the start of the year. I'm going to do that, but I wanted to, I wanted to figure out what this homestand was like, cause it really felt terrible. The Oklahoma city game, the Dallas game and both Houston games. So I went back and I looked at the end of quarter situations since the all-star break. That's a total of, uh, 11 games, excuse me, 10 games going back to the all-star break. So what have the Wolves done? End of quarter situation, going back to the All-Star break. Um, well, there's been 30 possible situa- end of quarter situations, not including the fourth quarter, three times 10, right? Um, of the 30, the Timberwolves have given up the final score in 18 of the 30 quarters, first, second, third quarters since the All-Star break. 16 of them were in the actual final possession of the quarter, the final 24 seconds. So 16 out of 30. So more than half the time the Wolves have given up the a score in the final possession. And that's crazier than it sounds on its face, because of course, you know, you say, well, you know, somebody, if you know, that means 14 times they scored, not necessarily. That means some of the time nobody scored in the final possession, right? We're talking the final 24 seconds of the quarter where it gets crazier is look at this homestand. So four games at home, Oklahoma city last uh, Monday, Dallas last Wednesday, Houston back-to-back Friday and Saturday on this homestand in 12 possible end of quarter situations, The Timberwolves gave up the final basket of the quarter 10 of the 12 possible times. And uh, against um, Houston, it was two of three in each game. And three of the four were in the final uh, 24 seconds 
of the quarter. Go back a little further. They gave up three baskets in the final two seconds against in the two games against Dallas and Oklahoma City. Go back a little further to Phoenix right before that. They gave up two buzzer beaters. And in three of, or excuse me, five of the six quarters at Phoenix, they gave up five of the six first, second, and third quarters. They gave up a final basket in the final possession. Um, it was two buzzer beaters, a foul with two seconds left, and a shot with one second left. So they gave up four baskets in the final two seconds of a quarter in two games against Phoenix. That's crazy. At some point, it's not simply bad luck. Um, and, and, so I, what I was doing when I was going backwards, you know, looking at these numbers, I was thinking, okay, well, I've got to go back far enough to where they didn't give up give up the final basket of the first quarter because this is this is also this is the final stat on this, but it's insane. The Wolves have given up the final basket of the first quarter in their last seven games. You have to go all the way back to the second game against Portland, which was the third game after the All Star break. So I don't know, more than two weeks ago at this point to find the last time they didn't give up the final basket of the first quarter. And Houston on Saturday was actually the only time that basket wasn't in the final four seconds of the quarter. Lakers game, both Phoenix games, Oklahoma City, Dallas, and the first Houston game, they gave up a basket in the final four seconds, or free throws, in the final four seconds of the first quarter. So if it feels like the Timberwolves are always ending the first quarter in a hole or are fading at the end of the first quarter and can't carry any momentum from... You know, mostly they played okay in first quarters outside of the the Houston game on Saturday. Uh, they're not carrying any momentum from quarter one to quarter two. And second quarters haven't been much better either. Um, both games against Houston, or excuse me, the, uh, one of the Houston games, Dallas, Oklahoma City, one of the Phoenix games, all those they gave up a basket in the final seconds of the second quarter as well. So end of quarter situations, put simply, have been miserable. And it's not just the eye test that's that's telling us that, even though we've all, you know, the eye test is correct, I guess, is the better way of saying that. Uh, that's absolutely happened. 12 end of quarter situations over the last four games, the Wolves have given up the final basket in 10 of them. It simply can't happen if you're going to win games. And of course, in related news, uh, in those in those four games, the Wolves won exactly one game and they needed a 22-0 run at the end of the fourth quarter to do it. Um it was a terrible homestand. There's no other way to slice it. And I, what I'm going to do, and, and I'll try and get this done for the Tuesday show, is go all the way back this season and see what this looked like under um, under Ryan Saunders and see if it was any. I actually think it was worse early in the year. Maybe not worse than 10 out of 12. But overall, I mean, you look at, at Finch's tenure, and there were some games that weren't so bad. In fact, uh, in the two games that they played against Portland since the All-Star break, there was only one time Portland got the last basket. The Wolves' execution was actually better than Portland's. Um, but I have a feeling that if we go back to the beginning of the season, the Wolves are giving up the final basket of the quarter far more often than not. And it was probably worse when Ryan Saunders was the coach. So I'll have those numbers for you. You know, don't don't go out and do the legwork yourself. I'll do it for you um, and report back on that. But uh, yeah, not great. OK, next, I want to look at some two man lineups, including Anthony Edwards and uh, and who his best pairings have been so far this season. First, though, let's talk about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball and the NHL are in full swing and baseball starts later this week. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows and reality TV, real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free 
to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code Locked on. That's promo code locked on to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, let's talk about Anthony Edwards' two-man lineups. So I mentioned this um, in regards to the return of Malik Beasley. Um, Edwards has been playing primarily the two since Beasley uh, was out with his suspension. So that's 12 games spanning back before the All-Star break. Edwards slid from the three to the two. Now, Beasley being back slides Edwards back to the three. Jade McDaniels back to the four. And Jared Vanderbilt was kicked out of the rotation, the main rotation on on uh, Saturday against Houston. Um, I'm guessing that's the case moving forward. Chris Finch is obviously still trying to figure this thing out. And Josh Okogie is going to be back soon. D'Angelo Russell will be back eventually. Um, and there's still Jake Clayman, Jarek Culver. There's a bunch of these guys who are all trying to find their spot in the rotation. But what we do know is that Anthony Edwards and Malik Beasley are both going to play a lot. And very likely, they're both going to continue to start. There's always a chance Edwards goes to the bench if he continues to struggle uh, with his efficiency and and defensive effort. I mean, given that Chris Finch has sat him at the end of games, it wouldn't be the craziest thing if at some point they decided to bring him off the bench. But I think it's very likely they'll both continue to start for the rest of the year. So I started to think about the two-man lineups and was worried that the Beasley-Edwards lineup wasn't very effective. I mean, I I was right in that it has a negative net rating, but wrong in that it's actually one of Edwards' better pairings. Edwards actually doesn't have a single two-man lineup that has a positive net rating. Not great. Um, now, most of the advanced metrics hate Edwards' season so far. He's actually the worst on the team in terms of like win shares per 48, um, RPM, the LeBron metric over at uh, over at B-Ball Index, our friends over there, Carmelo metric over at 538.com. They all hate Edwards' season so far. He's like DF percentile. Um, or grades out at those at those percentiles, Ds and Fs, across the board for advanced metrics. It's easy to look past some of that stuff because he's been so dominant in stretches and so outstanding in the paint, the dunks, the the flashes that he's shown, even some of the playmaking ability that he's shown that I pointed out Andrew Wiggins didn't do as a rookie. Um, you know, and, and I've said plenty of times on the show, there's a lot of concerns that I have related to Edwards' profile as a prospect compared to compared to Andrew Wiggins. So I compare the two of them quite a bit or their rookie seasons, I should say. But Edwards just hasn't been very good. I mean, if you look at his actual on-court impact, it's been it's been negative. There's, there's no two ways about that. So his best pairing so far this season in 496 minutes, which is a pretty decent sample size at this point, is Jade McDaniels, which is really encouraging, obviously. I mean, those are the two first-round picks this year. They're very much the future of this team alongside Carl Anthony Towns and to a lesser extent, D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. It's Edwards and McDaniels. Uh, that's a negative 2.0 net rating. So not good, but better than every every other pairing. Uh, his second best is with Jordan McLaughlin. That's only 268 minutes, which is one of his smaller uh, sample sizes. But his uh, third biggest sample size after Carl Anthony Towns and after um, Ricky Rubio, and we'll get to those numbers in a minute, his third most minutes played with another player is Malik Beasley. Still, even though they just Beasley missed the last 12 games, and it's actually his third best net rating. It's a negative 3.7. Again, not good, but relatively speaking, a lot better than a lot of, than these other numbers that he's put up. And so in 632 minutes, it's a negative 3.7 net rating. Uh, the offensive rating 
is a 110.2, which is his best. So the, the issue is defensively, but a 110.2 offensive rating with Beasley and Edwards is fantastic. Really encouraging to see. Why? Because the, the, the two of their games actually should mesh together extremely well. The problem is the other pieces they're on the court with and also understanding how to play with one another, timing and spacing, et cetera. Theoretically, if you've got a high usage guard who wants to get into the paint, wreak havoc, draw fouls, you know, kind of crash into guys and, and make things happen like Anthony Edwards, and you've got a guy with a with a hair trigger release on the perimeter who can just catch and shoot lightning fast, who's a good cutter, who can who understands spacing, timing when it comes to cutting, that's Malik Beasley. Those guys should work uh the, the synergy should be amazing. They should work together base, pretty much seamlessly. Their games should mesh perfectly. That hasn't necessarily happened, but the 110 offensive rating and and the, you know, relatively speaking, decent minus 3.7 net rating isn't awful. That's really encouraging. It shows that to some extent that they, they figured this thing out, um, but they haven't actually figured it out because both of them are so supremely talented and and Beasley, especially himself, has been very good this year. Uh, his His rusty performance on Saturday notwithstanding, but it's encouraging for what the future of this partnership holds. And now you add in a higher usage point guard like a D'Angelo Russell, you could argue that that muddies things a little bit more. But the flip side of that is you're adding a 40% three-point shooter or more likely a 37% three-point shooter when the dust settles this season for Russell versus Rubio, who's a career you know 32-ish three-point shooter and has been worse than that this year and is a reluctant three-point shooter and just doesn't have anything resembling the same shot gravity as D'Angelo Russell. Defenses can't leave D'Angelo Russell. They are more than happy to leave Ricky Rubio. So I think this pairing actually gets better with D'Angelo Russell as long as D'Lo plays within the confines of the system that Chris Finch puts in place, as long as he understands that he isn't necessarily the 1B to Towns 1A, D'Lo is just going to sometimes be the second option. Carl Anthony Towns is option 1A, 1B, 1C. He is option one. Option two depends on the night, depends on the matchup. Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, and D'Angelo Russell all have the ability to be secondary scorers, and they all do it a little bit differently. Um, so the Beasley-Edwards pairing is really encouraging to me. D'Angelo Russell has to play according to the scheme that Finch sets up. He has to be willing to defer when it's his turn to defer. He has to be willing to play an off-the-ball role if Anthony Edwards gets the ball in isolation more often or even in the pick-and-roll, which he struggled in this year as the pick-and-roll ball handler. But if Edwards has the ball in his hands, Russell's got to be more than willing to stand on the perimeter and get ready to catch and shoot. He's a very good catch and shoot three-point shooter. It's one of the reasons why I advocated before the draft for the Wolves to draft LaMelo Ball. Because LaMelo could control the pace, could could be the guy with the ball in his hands more often than not. And D'Lo could be a spot-up three-point shooter where his career numbers have been much better in catch and shoot situations than off the dribble three-point attempts. And I thought the two-point guard thing would work really well with them. What they ended up doing was trading for Ricky Rubio on draft night and drafting Anthony Edwards. And and at the time, I was like, okay, well, Rubio is probably the floor. Well, maybe not the floor. Rubio is probably the average outcome, right? The 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 middle case outcome for Lamelo Ball is is a, um, you know, although he's a better defender. But you're talking about a guy who's maybe not a great shooter, but he can create next level passing, has good length. Ball's obviously bigger with more length and is a worse defender than Rubio. But at least in terms of his offensive profile, I thought there'd be some similarities to how they play. And and it, in my mind, somewhat proved my point that Ball would have been a great draft pick. But the Wolves were thinking, hey, we get the 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 experience, the veteran leadership of Rubio, and we still can play him and Russell together, but and we still get Edwards. But at the time, and, and still, 
you know, you can make the case that pairing Ball and Russell together would have been better than pairing Edwards and Rubio together. At any rate, um, the Wolves made the decision that they did. And clearly there's a, there's a place for Russell in this offense. You can see why Chris Finch is excited to have his passing creativity and ability, his spot up shooting ability. Um, and the fact that Russell doesn't get into the paint, doesn't draw fouls. That's not great. And I've talked about that at length on the show, especially early in the season when Towns was out and it was even more apparent that Russell was not willing to get in, into the paint and draw fouls. Even, even at a lower rate, a worse rate than his career numbers, it that actually works okay in Finch's offense as long as both Edwards and Beasley are cutting, as long as Carl Anthony Towns is distributing the ball accurately and on time, and this thing is flowing as it should, then you can deal with a point guard who would much rather catch and shoot or shoot off the dribble and transition and be a little trigger happy and not get into the in among the trees and draw fouls. That's okay. As long as everything else is clicking and as long as Russell understands his role and he's not jacking up pull-up threes from 30 feet when he's, you know, he's got Beasley and Edwards athletes running the floor with him or Carl Anthony Towns rim running. Um, as long as the shot selection is okay, that can all work. And um, I, I've gotten a little bit away from the Edwards thing now, but I, I do think that Russell plus or Beasley Edwards plus Russell will and can work. Um, I should say can work and hopefully will work um, in terms of Edwards. Other two man pairings that I guess the other notables are the ones he's he's spent the most time on the floor with his fifth best pairing is Carl Anthony Towns. That's still only 648 minutes. It's his second most uh, minutes played, but that's because Towns missed so many games and that's a minus 6.6, but again, his fifth best. And then really middle of the pack for him, um, his uh, 10th best out of, it looks like uh, 18 uh, pairings is Rubio. So Rubio and Edwards are actually a minus 10.9 net rating together on the floor. Defensively, they've been awful. That's uh, one of his worst defensive pairings. Offensively, it's been a little better. Fifth best offensive wise, offensive rating wise, uh, Rubio and Edwards together. So um, the way that Chris Finch navigates this Edwards downturn that he's been on now, he shot 50% from the field in the loss to the Rockets on Saturday, but it was far from a great performance. Still a little trigger happy on flat footed threes, still really lackadaisical defensively. And of course he was off the court for the Wolves big run at the end of Friday night's win against Houston. I'm interested to see how Finch navigates this, these issues that Edwards is having. And as Beasley and hopefully soon Russell and hopefully soon a Kogi come back, how will Finch's rotations look and what will he try and do offensively to keep both Beasley and Edwards involved yet still run the offense entirely through Carl Anthony Towns. Um, so we'll keep an eye on all that, of course, and, and talk about it here on the show as we move ahead. Uh, next, let's preview the Wolves Brooklyn Nets matchup on Monday night. But first, before we do that, let's talk about Built Bar. We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for quite a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar that tastes exactly like a candy bar. It's got 100% chocolate on all bars. We're still in the middle of Built Bar madness in the month of March. The matchup on Monday is Caramel Brownie versus Coconut Brownie Chunk. Both delicious, both in my top, certainly top 10. Coconut Brownie Chunk, though, is 1A in my book. And I will be voting for Coconut Brownie Chunk. That's going to give us a flavorful four of cookies and cream versus cookie dough chunk and mint brownie versus coconut brownie chunk on the opposite side of the bracket. If indeed it does be caramel brownie, as expected, in my mind, that is the favorite here. Um, so we'll, of course, be talking about the flavorful four. And then who will advance to the championship? 
uh, later on this week. So head on over to builtbar.com to check out the bracket. You can also go to at bar underscore built on Twitter. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order of Built Bars. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. Check back to see who won Monday's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar. Let's also talk about our great friends. They've also been our friends for a long time now, and that's rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person at the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have a computer with access to rockauto.com both at home and in your pocket, rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. And best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Okay, before we get to the Nets preview, a reminder, as March Madness is ongoing, uh, NCAA games are, are, you know, we're about to get our Elite Eight. You can get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness, four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. Okay, um, so the Brooklyn Nets. They are currently second in the Eastern Conference. They're 31 and 15. They've undergone a huge, massive roster overhaul. And outside of a couple of games that they basically, I, I mean, mailed in based on who's been available, since they got James Harden, they've been unbelievable. They were 14 and 12 going back to just prior to Valentine's Day, February 9th. They lost to the Pistons. They were 14 and 12. Since that time, they've gone 17 and 3. And one of those losses was a couple of nights ago against Utah when they basically didn't dress anybody, really. Uh, the, by the way, the starting lineup in that game, this was just a few nights ago, was Bruce Brown, uh, Tyler Johnson, Jeff Green, Joe Harris, and Timote Luawu Cabarro, or TLC, as I think I'll call him moving forward because I really don't want to get that wrong. Um I mean, and as expected, and that was against Utah. So they, they knew there was no shot in that one and they, they were just fine with their 30 point loss that they got. But then they brought back James Harden. They brought back Blake Griffin for their matchup against the Pistons on Friday. So that loss to the Jazz was last Wednesday. They played the Pistons Friday. They were off for the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. But in that Pistons game, they only won by two. And this was Blake Griffin's return to Detroit. They brought back Blake Griffin. They started DeAndre Jordan. James Harden was back. And Harden played 42 minutes in this game. Nobody else on the team played more than 30. Everyone else was 30 minutes or below. Jeff Green, Joe Harris, both in the starting lineup, played 29 minutes. Bruce Brown, DeAndre Jordan in the starting lineup. And then Tyler Johnson, Nicholas Claxton, TLC, and Blake Griffin all played minutes off the bench. And they ended up winning only by two. However, uh, James Harden dropped 44, 14, and eight assists in this one. 
and ultimately did foul out in a game that they held on to win at the end. But the point here is Brooklyn is the best offensive team in the league. Their offensive rating is 118.4, number one in the league. They're bottom five defensively by pretty much any metric you use. And I mean, it. There's really it's really hard to see the Timberwolves having a prayer of slowing down the Nets in this one. Just just being completely honest. Um, I don't know what they're, you know, no Josh Okogie. He's already been ruled out for the game. I don't know how they're going to slow down James Harden. I think you have to give Jarrett Culver a shot. I think you've got to give Jade McDaniels a shot, although I worry about him defending without fouling Harden off the dribble. I mean, that's obviously what Harden is best at is drawing fouls on dribble drives. And McDaniels, we saw him get beat a couple of times just this weekend against Houston on on dribble drives. Um, Also very notable, the Nets will not have Kevin Durant uh, Steve Nash, the Nets head coach, said that he was doubtful to play this week at all. Same with Landry Shamit. Also extremely notable, Kyrie Irving has missed the last three games with family, um, some uh, family issues, been away from the team. And he's back. He's supposed to play on Monday against the Wolves. So yes to Kyrie Irving playing. Wolves haven't seen James Harden yet this year because they didn't see Houston early in the season, haven't seen Brooklyn yet. And uh, yes to seeing Blake Griffin. Yes to seeing Kyrie Irving, I guess. And so from a basketball side, that'll be great. Too bad that, you know, the Wolves haven't played against Kevin Durant in in two years now since he was at Golden State. And so it would have been fun to see Durant on the court as well, but he is not available in this game due to the hamstring injury. So the Nets will be, even without Durant and without Shamit, this is a really deep team. Blake Griffin's playing a bench role for them, hasn't been asked to do too much, but he's been really good in his three games since he's been there. It's the first time that I that Kyrie Irving and Blake Griffin will share the court together. Uh, so we may get to see that. But just a, a well-rounded, obviously very veteran Nets team. Um, and they've been awful defensively, and that could rear its ugly head in the playoffs, but it shouldn't be an issue against the Timberwolves. We'll be back, of course, right after the game with the postgame pod posting late Monday. That'll be Tuesday's show. So be sure after the game, win or lose, to head back to the feed. And if you're not already subscribed, you can subscribe to Lockdown Wolves anywhere you get podcasts. And if you listen on iTunes, it would be awesome. Be much obliged if you did leave a positive review on iTunes, uh, regardless of whether the Wolves win or lose. I'll bring you the same content, the same effort here regardless. So uh, be sure to do that. And then you can also follow on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves and also at BBeacon is my account. That's BBeacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. That's all we have for you on today's show. Thanks once again for listening to Locked On Wolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. A reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes exactly like a candy bar. You can go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.